Hi, this is Michelle Fife, creator of Copra, and you're listening to 11 O'Clock Comics. <laughs> It's the sound, it's the sound. How about that finger popping going on in the background? Love it. Yes, Ooh. I'm happy. It was a wonderful week of comics. Here, here. Right. Yes, sir. It was one of those weeks where, like you, to which you alluded, maybe the gas tank was getting a little low. And this week rolls around, it's like, hot damn. I remember. This is why. This is why I do this. That's what it's all about. Well, you're why I do this, but. Oh. Uh-huh. Oh, stop. Hey, everybody! It's eleven o'clock comics, episode eight hundred and fourteen, and I am Vince B. You are Vince B. I am David A. Price. Indeed, you are, and you are also my electric mayhem because i'm dr teeth <laughs> i <laughs> you better cut me a check buddy because i said that last week that you, you were wait, you did yes i did wait what yeah i did not on the show but when we were talking i said why don't you be dr teeth this week because oh maybe that's it must have been subliminal because your dental escapades i feel good now you're not dr nice. teeth you're you better looking than he you're Jason Wood, everybody, together on this just chilling episode of EOC, brought to you by our lovely family of patrons. Yep, patreon.com forward slash 11 o'clock comics, one one no apostrophe. They give to us because they somehow appreciate what we do, and we like to give back to them in return. Audio, video, images, polls, actual downloads of vintage fanzines, uh, pages a day from notable works of comic book grandeur. We have uh, the ability, or you will get, the ability to voice your opinion on the book of the month. And, like we always say, the cream on this here delicious drink is the dedicated Slack channel, where we powwow each and every day on topics various and sundry, including comics, movies, TV, uh, records, Books, everything, um, personal stuff that we all try and and kumbaya together because that's why we're there. We love each other, and I think you will too. So give it a little peep. Patreon.com slash eleven o'clock comics. Nice. Yeah. It's been a minute. Feels like it's been a while since we've done this. It's been a while. Yeah, we have a lot to talk about, uh, but before we do. Let's see what we're all drinking. And I will go first. Because it's mundane. But I love it. (laughs) The best coffee in the whole damn world. McDonald's. And it's... (laughs) I have two of them. I had three. But that first one has been consumed. So. Well, we have a coffee orama Because I, too, am drinking coffee. Mmm. David, you're going to have to uh, cross the finish no. line. All right, well, I, I should go downstairs then and fire up the Keurig. I have, um, I'm drinking on what um, makes coffee. Um, I'm just uh, I'm just enjoying a really nice cold bottle of tap water. That's amazing that you can drink your tap water. I'm jealous. I know, I know, I know. I don't, and I don't, 
I know that's your answer all the time, and I never it is say amazing. that to yeah. remind you that oh, I have to. I just I, but I yeah I. For years I couldn't, and I'm I'm glad I can again. Good for you. Yeah, I'm like Tony Stark. If I ever drank our tap water, my my skin would just produce the armor from all the metal. In, in oh, the, no doubt. Yeah. yeah, yeah. All right, we have a tag team. We all read at least one thing alike. Is that right? Yes, we. Well, as like I said, at least one. Huh. Yes, uh, I received this book. I think Friday, and since, I've read it four times. Jesus. I like to enjoy the things I love. Dude, relax a little bit. Man, I didn't read it in succession. I read it Friday, and then I... It's not a huge book. Oh, at least not in page count. Um, Well, I'll just spill the old four-color beans, because it was written and illustrated by Alex Ross. Oh, with, that's what you read for. Wow, you read that for? Okay. Yeah. Yes. Uh, with um, it says uh, color assistants by uh, Josh Johnson. Um, I don't know the level of contribution uh, Mr. Johnson made, but I'm guessing it's significant because there's a little bit of a shift going on in the visuals of this book, and it is called Fantastic Four Full Circle, published uh, Marvel in uh, Abrams Comics Arts. Which is a very curious uh, thing, I think. I don't know why this wasn't released straight from Marvel. I don't know. But um, it's a tag team. And we're all the better for it. Because this is a callback. This uh, little hardcover is a callback to Fantastic Four numbers 51 and 108. 51 is noteworthy. Why? Because it's the classic issue, this man, this monster, right? I'm sure everybody hearing the sound of my voice right now has read that. It's one of the most, I, that, that splash page is, you think of Fantastic Four, and if you just, you know, had your, your top five images that immediately come to mind, if you mention the Fantastic Four, yep. Ben in the trench coat with the rain is mm-hmm. absolutely near the top of that list. Chris it's Campbell's pop- favorite, uh, Favorite comic issue of all time. Wow. Cool on him. Good job. It, it, it's akin to the garbage can in the foreground with yep. the uh, Spider-Man costume and Peter just like, fuck it, walking away from it. Spider-Man uh, no more. There, there, are, there are images that have uh, stitched themselves into our uh, consciousnesses. And I think, uh, well, I know, at least for me, uh, FF51 is, is one of those. And it's also um, a, a bit of uh, a, an extrapolation on the events of Fantastic Four 108, which um, by and large is not a great issue of Fantastic Four. I mean, it's it's very, very good. It's, it, you know, but it is noteworthy because it is, is the last collaboration, in quotes, between um, Lee and Kirby. So uh, the thing that unifies these two issues, uh, at least in terms of full circle, is both stories have uh, tendrils into the negative zone. So Alex Ross, being the the, the uh, cunning dude that he is, said, hmm, we got this, this Ricardo Jones in 51 
that uh, for those of you who don't know, the the, the probably 0.05% that haven't read that issue, um, Ricardo Jones thinks Reed's a little bit too big for his britches, so he steals uh, the thing's powers and appearance, uh, transforming Ben back to Ben and um worms his way into the baxter building and and there's a a a really silly altercation between um ricardo as the thing and uh reed and susie and ben's like it's me and susie's like it seems like him (laughs) it is him it looks exactly like him like why whatever uh but um long story short he ricardo eventually saves reed from death in the negative zone and flings him back to the uh the negative zone portal which is at this point was brand new in in fantastic four uh mythology i think uh reed was still testing stuff like it wasn't um the omnipresent thing that it is now in the marvel universe like negative zone has been around seemingly since you know 51 that's a long time but when 51 came out negative zone was a was a relatively newfangled fantastic four widget so um it was novel and cool uh so alex ross picked out not only the protagonist uh, from this story but also brought in the crossroads of infinity and the anti-earth and then he brings in janice um the nega man from 108 again not a as presented in 108 janice is not a big deal i think alex ross made him a bigger deal at least in his own mind and visually in this full circle like i think the depiction of the man trying to use human bodies as transport vessels for the negative zone nastiness is more enthralling to me than the stuff that went on in 108 not to do you know a disservice to to jack and stan but i thought this like i said at least visually like there's a lot of cool images from that sequence has it all over the original 108 but um so i mean long story short alex ross takes these two classic ff issues and pulls them into the present not the Fantastic Four's present, our present, and does a nice little um, melding of the events and uh, redetermining the conclu- the endings of these characters, or and for some beginnings. And man, I'll tell you, I I just can't get enough of this thing. I thought it was great, wonderful. There, yes, let's be honest. The book is first and foremost an art object. It exists. It exists primarily to showcase the visuals, which are impeccable. They're just amazing. Uh, Susie has rarely looked this good. I mean, his Ben is great. His Reed is super handsome and and has presence on the in the panels. Like he's you, you as depicted. You look at him and you think, man, this guy is incredibly smart and just in charge, right? And Johnny's Johnny's Johnny, and I like the way that uh, Ross does the flame on effect. It's very different than mostly everyone that's done it before. Yeah. Uh, there's a, a component of uh, Marvel Comics number one to the way. It's yeah, it's very original Human Torchy. Right. Unlike unlike everybody else, Burn and Company that does the black lines just to, right. Yeah, Johnny's yeah. on fire. 
You know, yep. you you can't see the 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 ripples of whatever he's got going on under the fire. He's all fire. I think that's kind of cool. I, yep. I like that a lot. But did you notice? I'm sure you did. Um, it's not a subtle change in Alex Ross's typical, you know, palette. Uh, now he's he's adventurous and he takes a lot of risks heretofore, where he'll bump up a lime against a magenta like that is not beyond Alex Ross's um, prowess. Like he'll do it. He he loves seemingly to to put colors together that are jarring and they work really well. But in this book, it's not painterly. They're flat, which I thought was amazing and. Especially, particularly in that double page spread with Janice and all the icky creepies around him, that I will go to my grave believing that that page is an homage to the Marvel Blacklight posters of the the late sixties and seventies. It's almost the same palette, yeah. Those super hot neon colors, um, and I just think they work so freaking well together like this visually this book sings it's on fire it's just i i can't throw enough accolades on it i think he did an amazing job on the visuals the stories are fun you know i mean yeah it's great but it's a love letter to the ff and uh jack and stan i get it but i think where this book really knocks it out of the park is the visuals well i'll shut up what did you guys think Go ahead, Dad. I, uh, I mean, no, it, it's 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 a fantastic four story. I very much. I it's no secret. As much as I enjoy the Fantastic Four, and as as there are certain eras that just really speak to me, no matter how much. I like or come close to loving Fantastic Four. It 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 is in a shadow compared to your love of of, of the characters and the concept. And so, um, I no matter how much I enjoyed this story, uh, anything I I could say about it would 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 just pale. Uh, but it is it's it is it's it's visually stunning. I I keep I kind of. I'll I'll read a couple pages, and then I'll I'll get lost because I'll go back a couple pages to look at the art again, and so it does it. It's 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 self-contained, and 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 you know this is what it is, but there's there's so much, and it's not like yeah, there's 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 a lot of word balloons, and 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 it's a Fantastic Four book, and and of course Reed's going to be talking, so there's there's a lot to read, but it's not necessarily you're going to spend more time looking at the pictures Alex Ross did more than you're going to read the story. And, and, you know, as, as he, we know, Alex Ross is a phenomenal illustrator, regardless of, you know, that, that feel about his writing. But, uh, this was, I, I really, I just, I really like this. I, 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 it's, I, I'm curious to know if, um, I mean, yeah, we've got Marvel unlimited and things like that, but, uh, any of the younger readers or anybody who's read um, the JMS stuff or the Miller stuff or or the Hickman stuff, I, I'm curious to know how they may feel about going back to 
the original run. And and I think even if you're, I that's probably wishful thinking on my part. I don't. I I there are. I think there are some series. There are some titles where no matter when you start reading that that series, that I think at some point people. I'd like to think most fans would go back. Most readers would go back and 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 try to read it from the beginning, just to see, just to see the journey and see what 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 came before. Um, Fantastic Four has been around a long time. It is it's it's Marvel proper's longest running superhero book, and it's there's a lot of history there. And and Alex Ross, of course, loving this era and 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 loving Stan and Jack the way he does. Apparently, it's. It's super fitting for him to do a Fantastic Four story, and and even more fitting for him to go back to this madness monster and 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 springboard off of that. I I had a blast with it. I I will be rereading it again soon. It it's just, but visually, it's it's absolutely beautiful. Yeah, I'll be totally honest. I think it's the best thing he's ever done. I am I am close. To agreeing with you there because i i do as much as i love marvels and as great as i think kingdom come is that's that's the traditional typical alex ross you normally get everything shiny everything's gleaming it's just it but this just this feels this is just comfortable i i like the look of this this i'm not it, it's i'm not you know getting um I don't have to shield my eyes because the light's catching someone's armor a certain way. This, I, I think, yeah, I, I, I think he, he, I agree with you. I think it's a very calculated effort on his part because, uh, stylistically, uh, there are flourishes within the book that retain the, uh, typical or the standard Alex Ross visual voice, the, the painterly approach, um, Lots of brushwork, you know, wonderfully uh, controlled color, and and in this case, grayscale. But there's also a lot of traditional approaches to panels where he's doing just black line, you know, with um, the flat, in most cases, color work. So it has one foot in in its contemporary, and it has it's classic, right? Um, and and he also he takes the time to tip the hat to Jack with Jack's uh for at the time and still his really strange collage work. Uh there are panels in here that 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 you know there are ties to that. I, I visually I think it's it's wonderful and like I said, you know, if you can nail that's not the way right way to put it. If you can capture Susie like this. Like Reed is is Reed is depicted in the the standard uh, Kirby Sinnott yeah. way. You know, he's he's not beefy, but he's not a beanpole either, right? He has he's got a little bit of mass to him, and yeah. You know, but this Susie's gorgeous, just absolutely gorgeous. And uh, unlike Neil Adams, who shit the bed with uh, that that his yeah, version yeah. of the thing on and that antithesis, the, whatever it was. Uh, Alex Ross's depiction of Ben can hold its own with anybody's. Like, it is just spot on, right? I hate to short shift Johnny, but, you know, he's he's just like a himbo, 
right? He's a good-looking kid. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And um, that it's the flame-on aspect that really... And I love that he's like... I don't remember this guy. Hey, hey, you were, you know, you, you were in college that day. It's just like it, you're it messing around with Wyatt. Was, yeah, it's like, <laughs> you know, we, we had Herbie, but it's just it's it's just neat that you know, yeah, it, it's like it's like Chekhov when he when when he sees Khan, and it's like, but but you weren't on the ship, you weren't on the series when the crew met, but but we're trying to retcon it. But of course, over the years, somebody had to have tell someone had to have told Pavel Chekhov about Khan. But yeah, this is just it's it was neat that that Ross is just like. You know, of course, if Johnny wasn't present in that issue, how's he going to, you know, he's, and, and right. he's just addressed it super quick, just like, yeah, no, you weren't around. It's yeah. cool. And it does have a dust jacket, but unlike the typical throwaway disposable dust jackets, this one actually has a function. It folds out. And mm-hmm. the, nestled therein is a wonderful uh, retelling of the Fantastic Force origin. It's great. Jason, you're a little quiet. I'm kind of worried. Well, you always say that, and I always think to myself, like, do you want us to be talking over each other? Cause no. <laughs> right, like, 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 I'm quiet because I'm giving you the floor to speak speak your point. Like, that's the well, that's add to the it. right way to do a, a, an audio podcast, I would think. But mm. um, it's like your go-to shtick. You're quiet. But, uh, no, I, I mean, I, I, I echo a lot of what you guys say. I, I, I mean, I, you lost me at, at this is the best thing you've ever done. But I'm not surprised you feel that way because you love the Fantastic Four as much as you do. Um, but I, I completely agree with you both that it was really exciting to see him to open the book up and not see exactly what I expected to see. Right. And to be clear, if if this looked like you know a bunch of pages of the Alex Ross covers we've been graced with for 20 plus years, it would have still been stunning. But but to see him play around with different finishes, a, a much freer style, you know, as you said, much different color schemes. It was, it was, that was the charm of the book for me. Um, and I also have to say it was, I was intellectually curious to see what it would be like to take uh, a, an all time classic story and, and adapt it and how that would feel and read. And I think he did a really nice job with it. I, I think there's probably some art and some science to doing that, straddling the keeping the kernels of everything that made it a classic issue that we've all know so well, but but also feeling like it is something unique and not just like a cover recreation. So he pulled that off too. It makes me wonder and wish that he had more of an interest in doing, you know, uh, storytelling more often, right? Like, I mean, and I get it. Like he, when you're making millions of dollars painting covers and selling the covers to collectors it's i understand why that's an easier life choice than than grinding on doing interiors of a book so i'm I'm not blaming him his, his life choices seem to have worked out just fine from what i can gather dudes dudes got fat stacks but but i selfishly wish that we got more of this you know in a way this reminded me of the journey that, that jh williams has taken with his career you know because in the sense that they they both are such meticulous artists with such a uh a level of um, ability with a paintbrush that, that that so few of their peers have, but that that has its downside as a consumer in that it just we don't get a lot of their stuff, right? So we kind of have to crave it like a crack addict. Um, but I will say I don't know if either of you guys came across this. I, I was when this was solicited, I was just unendingly fascinated by the whole thing about you know it being Alex Ross's first ever written and drawn comic, 
uh, it being a reboot of an existing Stan Jack story. And like you said, Vincent coming from Abrams, it's a strange collaboration, right? Like why didn't Marvel just put this out themselves? Um, so I dug around and I found, uh, and I actually have this book, but I read this online. I, I never read the book. Um, I don't know if you guys have that book, Marvelocity, that coffee table book. Um, mm-hmm. In in Marvelocity, there's a apparently a whole section um, where they talk about Alex Ross's uh, 2017 pitch to uh, reboot the Fantastic Four. For those that don't remember, the FF were on hiatus back then. Um, after the Hickman run, there there was no FF for what like two years, maybe three. Uh, and during that period, at one of the creative retreats, Alex Ross pitched he wanted to write and draw an FF reboot. And I guess in Marvelocity, he, he, he does an interview all about that with images and, and his pitch. And his pitch, it's funny, so re- reading from Marvelocity what he had in mind, it's like a light bulb went on. I thought, oh, okay, th- th- that's why we ended up getting this book. Because his pitch was, he said, the FF is so grounded in the early 60s to be true to that pre- uh, period's aesthetic is to understand why it worked at all. I thought it'd be essential that these images be drawn, not painted. I wanted the black light poster effect, Ooh. something that would get inside your head in an interesting and surreal way. The key here is flat color pop art feel that transports you to another time. A window into the 60s pop art scene as if you're looking at a book that is all done in fluorescent colors. This is antithetical to what I normally do. The drawing has to be enough. Despite all my powers, I could not save the pitch, he laughed. Mm-hmm. Um that's what this book mind-boggling. is mind-boggling it just yeah. does, makes no sense why i mean not to slight dan slot it's it's a it's a good run but when alex ross comes to you and says i want to do the fantastic four why do you not let him do it what's what's to lose yeah and I, who knows right i don't i don't know remember there was a whole like they were on hiatus weren't there, i remember there's some kind of legal issues with the hiatus right like there were uh, I, was, I know nothing so, about that I think it was something about the the movie rights and all that. Um, and, and then, you know, who's to say, I mean, I, I'm not, I'm not, I guess it was still Axel that was, right? I don't think uh, CB had taken over yet, but if, if, if it was Axel or CB, as, yeah, I could see them saying, well, sounds good, but like, how long, is, like, can Alex, Alex Ross, what's the book going to come out every three months? I mean, it's not like, it's not going to be a monthly book. And it's, and if you, if it is monthly, it's got to be a miniseries, right? It's not going to be something he's not going to, unless he just draws the 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 first arc and continues yeah. as a writer. And then and I don't know what. Some... I mean, also I I presume, I mean, you know, dude, dude eats. I don't think he's going to just, you know, I don't think he was pitching him a big discount, right? And I would imagine that uh, Dan Slott and whatever A list <laughs> artist they put on the monthly is probably infinitely cheaper than asking Alex Ross to write, write oh, draw it on. Yeah, and of course. I, I think there's, and, and yes, it is Alex Ross. And, you know, you say that name and, and, and uh, you do get something from it, but you, I would think part of me thinks that you have Dan Slott, who's written some stellar work for Marvel and, and is a proven commodity. And Alex Ross, who, you know, has co-written some things here and there, but but for the most part, you know, he hasn't sat down and written an an, an entire book. So, I I wonder. Part, it's weird. It, it's it's still Alex Ross. Like that name should sell regardless. But I I could I could see them maybe being a little gun shy with 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 giving their what would should be their flagship to to a guy who hasn't written much on his own. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. 
I guess. I don't I know. know. It, it, it's. I mean, yeah. As, as armchair quarterbacks, we could say no. It's a no-brainer. Why wouldn't you give it to him? But I, I would imagine that, it, and there might be some people trying to weigh how everything right. Out. And and in in working in a shared universe, if you noticed, Ross not only takes what was laid down to those by those before him, but he also gives something a little back at the end with Reed's uh, hypothesis that the negative zone is psychoactive. Mm-hmm. Like, that's really cool and can mm-hmm. be used extensively by someone with the the, the talent and experience to do so, right? Like, right. Hick, Hickman could go nuts with that. Yeah. And I thought that was a brilliant idea. So he just he's just not, you know, reworking or or extending classic tales. He's adding to it too. Like the the lion guy, I forget his name, and you know, those the the people that come in at the end. Uh visually striking, but again it's Alex Ross. So um yeah, you could there's a lot of mileage left in this. I don't know. Uh yeah. I I just thought it was wonderful. And it's it is something it, to to hold near and dear because Home run on all levels, I think. Yep. Did you see that the, I guess the slipcase version came out a week before? I I didn't remember or know that there was a slipcase version until Hassan posted a pic of his in the Slack. Well, they solicited the slipcase version. I don't know what month it was, but it was a month prior to the regular version in previews. Must have completely missed it. And it wasn't in the Marvel section. It was nestled in the back pages. Yeah, right? I mean, as was the version I know. Yeah. That, but yeah. And I guess the slipcase version uh, has tripled in price. I mean, it's selling for like anywhere from, I think the top price it, it got was 150 Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, it's selling for far more than sticker price. Which eh, there's only three thousand of them printed, so that makes sense. Uh, but why? I mean, it's a slip. I don't. There's no extra content in the. I don't think in the slipcase version. So you know that's great for those who want a slipcase. But why not just grab the hardcover? I mean, it's perfect as yeah. is. You know. I mean, I wonder because of the like, would it have made sense for Marvel and Abrams to do this as a one-off? I presume that. I mean, one would think they have plans to do other types of things like this, right? I mean, right. Um, I don't know. But you got to keep with the pedigree, right? It can't be, um, I, I don't know, uh, a, name a lesser talent. You got to have, you know, the sluggers come in and do this. It's got to be big, big names if you're going to continue doing these special, uh, you know, uh, album sized one shots in a sense. Because the, yeah. the the bar has been established and it's really freaking high, so I don't know. Um, I'd love it, it, I'd love to see them continue. Like if someone did a, a reworking of or, or an ex- extending of an X Men, a classic X Men tale, hell yeah, I'd be down for it. Like you said, though, it it has to be like it has to be makes sense on all levels, right? Um, right? Because because on paper. If you told if you told me when X Men Grand Design was coming out, I was adoring it. If you told me in those moments, well, we're going to get more Grand Design, and it's going to be by people like Rug and Sholey, I would have marked out, right? I would have been like, oh my god, that's brilliant! Like this is going to be incredible. And and note, 
I mean, I don't think I think our I think we 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 have shown our receipts for how much we love both of those gentlemen as creators. Yes, very true. Hell, I mean, Rug, Rug is I would say his his comic sits atop my favorite of you know of of, of the decade. Um, but that said, I, I bluntly don't think that their grant design efforts. I only speak personally. I can't speak to what the populace thinks, but it just didn't hit me in the same way. Right. Um, uh, and, and, and it wasn't, I'm not at all commenting on the quality of the efforts. I just, it just, to me, like the X-Men grand design and the organic way it came about and the way that Pisker approached it just, just worked for me because we hadn't seen anything like that. Uh, and then maybe because of my expectations for what they would do. I think part of it for me was that in their efforts, they were much shorter efforts. They were almost just like, like little mini series. And um, just didn't hit me the same. So it, sometimes it's hard to, you capture magic, it's hard to replicate it, even if it's with what you would think are the perfect people for the, for the, 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 the next volumes of the project. I think you're right. Um, I'm guessing, just to keep it in the vernacular, that while Shirley was doing his Fantastic Four grand design, Psycho Man was in the background and he was tapping on that fear button. Because if someone comes to you knowing how much Sholi loves the Fantastic Four, like that's his mm-hmm. thing, and say, "Yeah, Tom, you're doing Fantastic Four grand design." Immediately, right. the waves of fear. Like, how do you encapsulate your consuming love for this thing? How do you adequately transfer that? I mean, I don't think Tom did a bad job. I I, I thought it was very enjoyable, but I do think that it fell short of what we expected Tom to do. Like I, I thought Tom, like the, it, it should have been a kid to the, the, uh, the King James Bible, right. Or whatever the hell it is. Like it, 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 if, if it was the perfect encapsulation of everything Tom feels for the fantastic four, it would have been like a living entity all, all by itself. And it wasn't that right. It was great. I mean, as fans, like you said, we 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 love the, the work of these gentlemen, but I don't think Tom managed to capture um, that spark that he has for FF. And I'm not even going to speak to the the rug um, Hulk one. Like I I just thought that was a sorry, Jim. I love you, but I think that was like a massive whiff. Yeah, that's. What, I mean, my, I don't, I'm not trying to be mean. No, you know. no, exactly. I don't. I. I we have to be fair, and I mean criticism. I would hope that that again we have decade plus of receipts with these guys. We love, we love. Them. Sure. So I yeah, just, they're, they're... I just don't think they were. They they didn't. And I I don't even know. I don't know how they were received by the by the broader world. But I just say for me, they, they just didn't. They didn't have the same yeah. impact. I think the writing was on the wall when um, Grand FF Grand Design wasn't the same form factor as um, Ed's. I think you know yeah i mean we were getting all, an indicator all treasury editions yeah like, like that should have been if you're going to do more grand design it has to be treasury edition right, right. and i can't i can't imagine that surely <clears throat> excuse me or rug wouldn't have been totally down for that sure of course they, they would have absolutely done that so. yeah tom would have just become a puddle of jelly right? <laughs> yeah yeah, I, I'm, there is value in in FF Grand Design for me. I I, I really like it, but I just think it it, it uh, fell a little short. Yeah, yeah. All right, get your asses out there and round up a copy of Fantastic Four Full Circle by Alex Ross and this person named Josh Johnson because mm-hmm. it's it's really really well done. It really is. It really is.
Yep. What else do we have? Vince, if I'm not mistaken, many years ago, many, you introduced me to the not not physically, but you the 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 uh, you had turned me on to the per, the uh, to Casanova Frankenstein. Am yeah. I imagining that? No, no. Uh, yeah, that, okay. that was me. Yeah, I thought so. Um, so, but this, I, I still only knew of him a bit from your speaking of his work and his 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 per- personage. Um, and I don't recall that I'd ever read anything by him. Um, but then. Um, you know, I feel like uh, I should, we should almost be getting a vig from Fantagraphics these days. By the way, yeah. <laughs> Between us all, we talk about every Fantagraphics book, but um, but uh, so when Fantagraphics uh, solicited this book, I mean, number one, as, as we feel like a broken record now, I, I put a lot of tr- trust in Fantagraphics these days and have for the last bunch of years. So if they if they're publishing something, I'm going to give it a real hard look. Um, but uh, the, the book in question is uh, how to make a monster. Uh, <clears throat> and it's, uh, it's written by Casanova Frankenstein, or I should say more, uh, as it turns out, dictated by, uh, and it's drawn by a gentleman named Glenn Pierce. So I was not familiar with. Um, so this, this book is fascinating on a lot of levels. So the, obviously the title, how to make a monster. And it's, it's solicited as an autobiographical or a, a biographical memoir. Um, I, 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 again, I knew of Casanova Frankenstein a bit from you, but I didn't know if there was some kind of dark side to him in his life that I wasn't aware of that was in this book. I'm like, oh, wait, is like, he getting some really fucked up shit that you, I don't know about? <laughs> well, you read it. You tell me. <laughs> yeah. So, well, so, so, well, that, and so that's the thing. So then I want to think, okay, you know, dude's had a life, you know, yeah. he's had a life. Yep. Um, but then I read the book or I dove in and it's, it's, it's so fascinating because this book is not, or I should say, Casanova's life is not what I thought it would be. Um, because he views himself as a, like, so by context, he's in his mid-50s now. He's, he's, he was born in 67, so he's, he's, he's right around, you know, he's what, 50, what would that make him, 55? Um so he's a he's he's lived a good chunk of his life at this point. He's actually retired, uh, as it turns out. Um, but this covers basically a, a period of when he was twelve or thirteen in uh, in nineteen eighty nineteen eighty one, growing up in Chicago, and like the the monster, how to make a monster, is really more about the way he thinks the world sees him more than like what we would we would normally consider what a person is a monster like in other words he feels as though he's a fish out of water to the extreme you know just doesn't fit in never has at this point never will and uh, and this book chronicles what he thinks were the traumatic issues he dealt with as a child that led him to become this person that most people look at and think of as uh, an outlier you know um, so it was a lot, it was a lot, had a lot more heart and empathy to it than I expected going in, um, which I loved. I was like, oh man, like so much to the point that after I got done reading it, I, I want to read his work um, because it like, and again, you, you probably know all this, but for the, for the, for the audience that, that probably like me didn't know much about him, 
Casino Frankenstein was an avid indie comics creator in the 80s and 90s, making zines and you know publishing in different places. And then he disappeared. He left the comic scene for almost, like well over 20 years. Didn't make a comic. And then he popped back on the scene um, about eight or nine years ago. So right after, you know, a couple years after we started the show, which is probably when you brought him up um, initially. Maybe you read something that he just put out. Um, and like I watched an interview with him after reading this book about his life. And it was actually Noah Van Skyver interviewing Castle Frankenstein. Oh, jeez, Oof. It was, it was fascinating. Um, and, uh, and, and so Casanova Frankenstein left comics in a big part because of Gary Groff. Like he was, yeah. he was doing his thing and he had just put out one of his books and I don't know which of his books this was, but he just put out one of his books and he was at a, a, a gathering of party or something. And again, I don't know if it was like a private party or it was like a, at a con uh, with Fantagraphics and Gary Groth was there, obviously. And Casanova, and then, you know, we're only hearing Casanova's version of the story. So if, maybe Gary's version, if we'd ever gotten it from him, would have been different. But um, but Casanova, as he tells it, he was he was a, a, out in the balcony having a cigarette and Gary Groth was, came out as well and they started chit-chatting. And uh, Gary Roth said, what are you so happy about? You know, it's like kind of out of nowhere. And, and Casanova said, I, I just love making comics, man. I'm psyched, you know, my book's out there. And according to him, Gary Roth says to him, well, how, how, much, how much did you sell? And uh, he says, 2,000 copies. And Groth, like without skipping a beat, says, well, I, don't, we, I don't know why you're fucking smiling. I wouldn't be smiling. And like... To hear him tell it, like, that sent him into a hole, and he left comics for 20 years. Yeah. yeah. Like, because he said it wasn't, he was so used to his life of having people criticize him or tell him he was shit, but to have Gary Groth at Fantagraphics, like, tell him that was just devastating to him. And I bring this up because it's fascinating now that not only is this book put out by Fantagraphics, but I have went back and looked, and all of the work he's done since coming back to comics have mostly been put out by Fantagraphics. Yes, sir. So I presume there's a, there must be a, a happy ending to that. Like they must have yeah. made amends at some point. There was some fence mending. Yeah. Yeah, there must have been right. Um, I didn't come across that. But but getting back to the book, because none of that has anything to do with this book. Um, so the interesting thing about this is this book is drawn by a gentleman named Glenn Pierce, who I was not familiar with. So I looked him up, um, and in the back cover, he's he's a self-described Australian outsider artist. Um, dude was born in 75 so he's, uh, he's, he's my age he uh, from Australia he's also lived a life like, he, he, he says he's, uh, he goes by Glenn Pierce or zombie chicken catcher <laughs> and he goes by that name because he was, he was kicked out of art school um, and had a psychotic break had electroshock therapy 36 times wow. and then made his living for the next 20 years as a chicken farmer. Yeah. Uh, and then just making comics for the art of it without no interest in the commerce. But he started publishing his comics through a site called Lulu um, at the behest of Casanova Frankenstein, who they became, they were friends, they became online friends. And Casanova put him on the path to sharing his work to the world. And he started doing that and uh, views him as a mentor. And so somehow or another, that all coalesces into this idea of either, I don't know if he asked Frankenstein to do it or, or vice versa, but but Frankenstein basically articulates this part of his life and Pierce illustrates it. Uh, I gave Vince a few snapshots of images um, 
from the book that he can put, hopefully, I don't know if you all have the time, but if you can put it in the image gallery. They're already but in I mean, there, my friend. Awesome. This book is a visual tour de force. Uh, Pierce is, I mean, he is incredible as an illustrator. And um, I'm going to say that it reminded me at points of Emil Ferris, but to be clear, like, there is a much wider range in the way that Pierce lays down stuff on a page than Emil, in the sense that, I mean, some of the pages, which I didn't show images, are very basic, rough-hewn, unfinished. Um, but then he, so you think kind of he's got that, like, that indie vibe of, like, I'm just going to put pen to paper just to get the idea across. But then you turn the page and there's these immaculately drawn, like, color-penciled, fully articulated, horrific, like, bestial images of emotion and rage and you're like man and so the guy has got incredible chops very very diverse uh just just complete like kicked me on my ass with the, the diversity of, of of talent this guy had putting lines down on a page um and and yeah and basically tells this story of of what it's like for a kid that considered himself pretty normal um getting turned into this this outcast and uh you, you know you never know with 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 this kind of thing of how much of it like everyone's the star of their own story, right? Good, bad, or indifferent. And certainly this book and from what I gather, a lot of Frankenstein's own work that he wrote and drew himself is an examination of his life and his childhood. And, and this book squarely places the blame on the person, not even the blame, but, but, but puts a lot of the weight of who he is on other people. And, like I, I appreciated that perspective because it seems very real for him. But you guys know me; like that's not how I believe in my. Like that's not how I live my life. Like I am fully on the other end of that spectrum, which is why sometimes I struggle with these introspective slice of life books that are kind of always me. Because my vantage is like, you know, we have a lot of control in who we become. And I'm not. And, and again, I'm not saying like you guys know that I fully believe in ideas like systemic racism and, and class like I, those are problems like and i'm I, like so i'm not saying like you're born and you can become whatever you want like i'm not saying that what i mean is that in terms of who you are the essence of who you are your confidence your well-being how you identify how you approach yourself how you approach other people how you interact with the world like i i genuinely believe you have a tremendous amount of your own control in that like you are not powerless to the like other people do not fully paint who you are as a human being and it seems to me like casanova doesn't necessarily see the world that way like he very much thinks that the experiences and the way he was treated by others around him made him who he is um so i actually don't like if i were ever have a chance to sit and chat with him if we had him on the show or we'd see him at a con like i would be i would love to have that conversation with him because i don't believe that's really a valid way to look at the world or at least for me it isn't but with that said i loved the book um because i it's it's his truth it's not mine his in his world these experiences made him who he is, and it's that's right. Not the way I live my life, but absolutely, if that's his the way he sees it, then more power to him, you know. And, and clearly, they did have an impact. And he starts with basically the prepubescent, and like from his vantage, he's like a quirky, quiet kid, normal though, and, and everything's cool. But then he says, like he and early in the book, he shows this amazing depiction of of when his friends start going through puberty, and they literally, I mean, on the page, they morph from these normal looking kids to these just absolute creatures, these, these wolf like and devil like creatures with, with the idea that their hormones start raging and they become complete, just beasts, just assholes, you know, a pack animals trying to one up each other and, and let the testosterone take over and prove their worth so that they can get laid and, 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 you know, have sex and, and, and prove their metal. And it just, it makes him feel 
completely um, ill at ease because he's a late bloomer. He's a small kid. He's uh, five foot he, as an adult. He's five foot five. Um, uh, never was an athlete at all. Um, so always fell out of place. So once you get to that point of adolescence where it's all about physical maturity and sexuality, it became torturous for him. And I think, listen, a good chunk of comics nerds, we live that life, right? Like we weren't, we weren't, at least in some way, shape or form of our life, we weren't, uh, we were outsiders, or at least we weren't like the, the mainstream most popular kids, right? Like that, that's, that's a pretty common, common, uh, 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 background for, for people that are lifelong comic fans. So I think you can relate to it. I mean, even if you didn't have the extreme experience as a kid that he does, I think there's some, there's always, there, there's something in his story that you can relate to. Um, and it goes from there. And basically he had a, a father that, that he viewed as abusive. He was a cop and very much, um, had problems with his son because his son wasn't tough and he wasn't, you know, he wasn't just what he, I guess, expected of the son. Um, he didn't have a good relationship with his mother, so forth, so on. Uh, and, and it just chronicles that, and it chronicles also issues that he had dealing with the fact that he was a black kid growing up in a mixed neighborhood, but he was light-skinned, so, of course, he had, he said, you know, black kids telling him he wasn't black enough because he was a skater, and he liked to listen to punk music, and he liked reading comics, and so um, he didn't fit in with, with what he thought it meant to be black in, in Chicago in the, in, you know, in the 80s, and and, uh, and 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 then white kids didn't didn't white women didn't want to date him because he was a, a black kid and an all white. You know, so it was like, he just always felt like an outsider. And then he chronicles how from there he embraces being different. And he realizes if he dresses differently, he won't get bullied as much because people be scared of him. And so he starts building up this character almost of who he now is and how he's seen where he, he grows, you know, goes dreads and wears all black and gets tattooed and, uh, and just becomes this, this almost scary monster uh, as a facade, as a shield to protect him from, the outside world that has just hurt him over and over again, whether it be people not loving him or people not liking him or being nasty to him, you know, just the whole thing. And, and uh, I just thought it was really a fascinating in, 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 uh, you know, intersection of, of, of a lot of complicated um, issues this guy had to deal with that clearly turned him into a person that struggled to live what we would normally consider a, a, a happy life, you know, and he's, He's at this point in his life. He's very clear that he's he's basically a recluse. Spends most of his life in his small efficiency apartment and doesn't really go out. Doesn't have many, if any, friends. Mm-hmm. And um, it's sad. Like it's sad. And I think the thing, what, the reason I say it's sad is because he's sad about it. Like he's like, like it'd be one thing if he was just happy being a loner. Like he's sad about his life. He wished that he had had love. And I guess he's been married a few times and had horrible experience with that because you know the women like took advantage of him, so forth and so. So it's like. It's it's this sad story, but it was done in such a fascinating way, uh, and and Pierce's visuals are so alarming and so expressive. And the book is oversized; it's it's so these big, giant, full bleed pages of, of art. It's 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 an amazing effort, and it really is. And it does. And what I what I don't know, and I wanted to get around to asking you if you remember because some of these books, but like I guess some of his big works were uh, Purgatory was a book that he did years ago, um, which is a basically a book about his that he drew about his childhood uh in the wilderness and then i guess he has a bunch of books uh about a character named tad martin yeah but from what i can gather purgatory essentially is his own like purgatory covers similar ground to this it's about his childhood and so i'm fascinated at the idea that he did a graphic novel about his childhood where he wrote drew it and then something drove him to tell us like retell that story 
uh, 20 years later with someone else drawing the story. Right. And yeah. I don't know, I'm going to go, I mean, I'm going to, um, I was psyched to find out Purgatory is available in Comicsology Unlimited. So I'm going to read that um, in short order because I'm, I'm dying to see how it compares or contrasts to what I just read. But uh, the whole thing just was really, it's just, I, I, I hope I'm expressing that he is a very odd duck, but I think he's a fascinating odd duck. Uh, and and someone that I actually came away having great uh, simp simp I don't know if sometimes I confuse whether the right word is sympathy or empathy but 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 I have feelings for like I I, I feel bad that the guy hasn't had the life that he wanted because of at least from his mind because of the experiences that with the way he was treated so um, yeah I mean it was it was you know this isn't a feel good book but you wouldn't gather that it would be when it's called How to Make a Monster but uh, but it's not like it's not super depressing where you read like, why did I read this? I, I think it's a pretty, pretty interesting and, and vibrant look into, into what it's like to have a fractured childhood from this perspective. Yeah. When I was on the socials, Cassie was one of the people that I avidly followed. I saw her, I thought, I remember, I remember, like he was Facebook friends with you, right? Like, yes. I remember, yeah, yeah. 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 And uh, and Instagram and and all that stuff. But uh, um, it, obviously, lots of content uh, related to gender and race issues. Um, and and I remember feeling um, much like yourself. Like I I wish I could give them a big old hug. Because I value their work, I think Cassie's extremely talented, but it seems each day is a struggle, right? And um, I, if, if memory serves, I do believe they identify as non-binary. I don't think. I mean, that's maybe maybe he did at one point, but he's definitely a male identifier now. Okay. On the book, it says Casanova Frankenstein's childhood. Uh, it says his. Okay, cool, um, cool. You know, his and he and right. Um, but and he, and he was yeah, and calls calls himself a son. So I, I don't. Okay. That's why I'm, I, I I don't think I miss. I don't think I misspoke. He definitely lives the life. Like as far as the the costumery and the makeup and the goggles and the you know the uh, he's the complete package. He, it, he's just not. Yeah, I mean, you know, I saw when I saw the the video with uh, the interview with Noah Van Skyver was was a YouTube interview. So I saw it was him him and Noah on talking to each other and he's got tattoos that that run up his face like makes right, his face look like it's right. cracked and stuff yeah i always got a real strong voodoo vibe from uh cassie because you know with the skull hanging off the belt and the you know just the uh the papa legba type you know what i mean like the, mm -hmm. the whole voodoo mm -hmm. aesthetic mixed with punk like I, yeah mm -hmm. I, I mean i love the way the guy looks and i love his work i think uh stylistically pierce is c very close to Casanova in some of these images that I'm seeing from the book uh, as far as the line work goes he's really close to Cassie's sure. style but uh, yeah I think I don't have this yet <laughs> but um, I, I own the majority of, of Cassie's work he's a fascinating character but again I just I want to hang with him I want to give him a hug it's like it's okay my man like you're you have value you know what I mean? Like, there are people out there, regardless of how many goddamn copies you sell. Like, who's Gary? I would really love to see the numbers on any of Cassie's books out of Fana Second Wave, right? You know what I mean? Right, right. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, Gary can be really mean when he wants to. 
and, and I don't think that was the, the the nicest thing to say to you know a creative individual. Like you only sold two thousand copies, I'd be fucking taking the bridge. That's not the approach to take, right? Whatever. I just, yeah, I just want to give Cassie a big hug. Yeah. Never, I, I, I never pictured Gary Groth as a guidance counselor kind of guy. <laughs> no, no, I, really I, I would definitely guy. not let him watch no, my he was kids. A warm and fuzzy kind of public. Yeah, yeah. yeah right. <laughs> <Jesus>. <laughs> but well you know, I got to give him props for for carrying that that torch for so long. You know, yeah. he 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 just wants to make. He wants to see good comics made. Uh, and if he pisses off a lot of people in the process. <laughs> maybe he'll feel like it was worth it i don't know but uh i i have big respect for gary too regardless of the person he is what he has done with both the journal sure. and the imprint yeah. i have massive massive uh respect and appreciation for gary yeah I, I i seriously i there's no way i'd be the fan i am if it wasn't for his magazines and, truth and, and right. his interviews, yeah. what he's done. So it's, I may not love everything he says, but he's definitely entertained me a whole hell of a lot. Yeah. I life, mean, so. there's so many mic drops that he could make. I'm yeah, the pub- sure. I'm a publisher of Love and Rockets. Drop that mic. You know, uh, I am the publisher of the, the literary journal for comics that lasted decades and covered every aspect of comics, all of the all of the uh, important and, you know, lesser talents that have ever made comics have appeared in the pages of that. You know, like, there's so many things. That, peanuts, the Barks books, the uh, well, the Duck books and, and Mouse books in general. Like, there's... Gary has blazed a, a really... No, his bona fides are impeccable. Oh, for real. For real. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to be a, a, his Kevlar, but um, I, I think he's very important. You know, anytime I have, I'm moved by a biographical work like this or Tilly Wald spinning or something, and then I think about all the autobio comics that I've read that I thought were just terrible. Yeah, I I I can't decipher though. Number one, I read like them all, <laughs> like I always read them. But two, I can't decipher why what the difference for me is in terms of why some work for me and some don't um, like there, I, there isn't a clear thread about like, Oh, well if, if it's structured this way, I don't care for it. Or if it's, it's just, it runs the gamut. I mean, I, sometimes it just, they hit me and I think this is, this is just fascinating. It's a fascinating view into someone's life. And then other times just think this is totally boring and I don't care about this person's life. Right. Well, that's the thing. Like what makes a person interesting, right? Yeah. For every you know Chester Brown, you're gonna have scads of people that just aren't as damn interesting and don't see the world. Well, Chester Brown's the perfect example because I I think I mentioned I just got like they just put out a a new um, like soft cover omnibus collection of three of his works, mm-hmm. and I read it. You know, um, one of the three I had already read, but the other two I hadn't. And he's I think he's the poster boy for these kind of comics. Sure, yeah. But to your point, like on the surface, that's he's part of my conundrum though because. On the surface, like his his comics are really boring. Like 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 they're all about him being this schlubby, out of shape guy who is awkward in love. But he does get laid. Like he gets laid a lot, but he's un- uh, but he's like awkward and he's very awkward in relationships and sex. And that's essentially what all of his books are about. But 
But, like, they're interesting, and I can't figure out why, because, like you said, there are lots of other books about goofy, nerdy white dudes in their lives that I thought were just totally boring and tedious and self, self-important. self And I'm like, why? No one, like, like, no one cares about this other than you do. You know, like, so I... And I don't know why Chester Brown can do it and so many others don't work for me. Right. If you could work out that, that recipe or that equation, then, you know, you're a genius. Because I'm, I'm sure, uh, especially during the black and white boom, everybody was trying autobiocomics. And for every one that clicked, there was hundreds that failed. Right. right, right. Why? What is that? What is the quotient? What What is that magic ingredient that makes you interesting and all these other people not like who knows that I, I, yeah. uh, the the thing with chester that um i remember the most and it's not ed the happy clown and it's not you know paying for it and all of his other stuff is i think it was it's in the playboy when he was masturbating and he's and he's doing it with a chair right and he he puts his penis between his hands like do you ever see um well you've gone camping when you try and start a fire and you get the you roll it between your 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 palms he was mm-hmm. masturbating like that i'm like how is that even possible like that's <laughs> that's the thing i remember but that's so different and so new unique and so odd that it's just it hits immediately if you're especially yeah. if you're male right because we all tried a lot of different things right <laughs> But I just like, wow, this guy's, well, Ed the Happy Clown was this thing that really cemented my love for, for him. It's so funny because I feel like I've read a lot of his work and I haven't read that. Oh, it's a masterpiece. It It, it, it is. I've talked about it here. You probably weren't listening. but uh, No, it, no, I think he's talking about it. I'm saying but I haven't read it. It is. It's a bona fide masterpiece. Yeah. Yep. The Man Who Can't Stop Shitting, you know, The President on the Penis. Frankenstein uh, jumping out of an airplane. <laughs> the vampire chick. It's just fucked up. <laughs> it's really fucked up. But it's and and Ed. It's it's really weird. But it's great. It's just so great. Uh, but I I have a penchant for the surreal. So yeah, yeah. your mileage may vary. Dap. Uh, is one thing that, um, I had to read today, um, because I've been loving what Wade's done with World's Finest and, um, we all personally adore Mahmoud Asrar. So, uh, Batman versus Robin, which is, which ties into somewhat of, of World's Finest, and um, and also pulls a little bit from the threads from the uh, that recent Deathstroke, Batman, and Robin crossover Shadow War. So um, the Wade's still having fun. Uh, obviously, the um, he kind of does a quick little, real quick. Um, origin of Damian Wayne and uh, who he is, what he's been up to. Um, but real quick, because like after in the, in the middle of the double page spread, uh, it's you know, tragedy struck and it's, and, and you see Bruce and Damian standing over um, Alfred's gravestone and, um, and feeling that, you know, that he had failed 
to save Alfred. Um, he uh, he just he goes to set out on his own, um, and then so present day or currently, we cut to Wayne Manor, and there's a hooded figure in a raincoat uh, walking towards Wayne Manor, and uh, inside Wayne Manor is Bruce, and he's he's just um, he's looking around the house um now he's moved out of out of his family home and uh is basically operating in downtown gotham um mostly says you know it it, it accelerates batman's response time uh but it just kind of also leaves things at home where uh at a sight out of mind kind of thing so there's a knock on the door Bruce answers it, and it's Alfred Pennyworth. And and he's looking at Bruce. He's like, Master Bruce, is that is it really you? And um, and on all Bruce is thinking, he's just running through all of his rogues who can shapeshift or appear as someone else. Um, and he's just like, this is an extremely poor taste. Uh, Alfred Pennyworth is dead, and and Alfred's like, no, I'm I'm really not, and and he and and all of a sudden it clicks, and he's 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 pulling Bruce, and he's like, you got to, uh, Damien is in danger, Bane is is uh, you got that man upstairs pretending to be your father, and and so basically it's like the exact last few minutes of of Alfred's life from from Tom King's run when the whole um, city of Bane storyline was taking place and um which of course now gives bruce a little bit of pause because he's like these are things that only alfred would know and, and still trying to figure out why exactly things are happening the way they're happening and they're they're catching up a little bit they're um they're they're having some tea in 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 the kitchen and at some point they both decide that you know maybe it's time to make sure you're who you are we'll get you checked out we'll go down to the lab um in the cave and alfred leads the way goes to the grandfather clock sets the uh the hands on the clock face to 10:47, the time of bruce's parents the, the, the time when bruce became an orphan and um they go down the stairs bruce flicks the switch and there's a very evil looking damien sitting atop the giant penny and next to him uh, is uh, is King Thunder and uh, Tim Hunter. So he's got some teenage soup-powered friends, um, both, of course, imbued with magic. Uh, so he, um, Damien tells Hunter to uh, to take Bruce out. Bruce gets away and um, dons the cowl. And, and now, you know, he's like, this is still my house. So uh, he's trying to, he's, he's hidden Alfred away because he's like, you know, Damien isn't, uh, Bruce wants to take care of this before he reveals Alfred. And, and he just wants to assess the situation, see what the hell's going on, because why the hell is my son attacking me? And, um, but it is, and even though it is, it is Damien. Batman's thinking to himself that, uh, but he's, he's, um, 
he's always been egocentric and ruthless and impatient, um, impatient to replace Bruce as as Batman. But apparently he's he's turned and and Bruce has to figure out, you know, who did this? Um, so uh, Damien's kind of got the upper hand because he knows all of Bruce's tricks or at least all the tricks that 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 Batman taught him. And um, and so while Damien's hopping around the cave, you got Tim Hunter trying to take him out. Um, but uh, Batman's able to sneak up around behind him, take him out. And um, and while that's happening, um, Thunder takes out the genie and uh, and and he's. It's his turn to ninja attack Batman and because he's a kid um, or at least a young <laughs> maybe a teenager he uh, he and he and um, he and the genie who I, I still think of as, as say you but um, are riding a dinosaur and and he's just like rampaging through the cave um, again Batman is able to uh, defuse the situation, and while um, while Batman's dealing with what he's dealing with, um, Alfred comes out of the shadows, and and he's like he, he's he's telling Damien, you know, I, I I beg of you, just just come to your senses, and and Damien's just he can't he can't believe, you know, I'm looking at Alfred. And and he's like, it's a miracle. Every, every night I dream of seeing you alive again. I don't know what to say. And then he pulls out these blades and he's like, other than I'm not falling for it. And he's about to slice up Alfred. Batman slams into Robin, throws him down. And Batman and Alfred are now escaping through the um, through the caves. But there is there's one there's absolutely one um, one page where. Uh, while they're escaping, and and Damien and and Tim Hunter catches up to them, um, Damien's like, "Listen, this is the end of the line, Father. Um, you know, I I I'm sure you're disappointed by my choice of, of 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 weapon, but it's simply too fitting to pass up." And he pulls out the gun that um that that killed his parents, and he says, "So it's my parting gift to you." He says, the Batman's life ends as it began. And he fucking says, I only wish you were wearing pearls. And I lost it. And and it just, it's a really solid first issue. And 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 with the return of Alfred, if it is. But then we um, we cut to uh, the Tower of Fate in Salem, where um, the, uh, with the snap of a finger, after all three walk through, Tim Hunter and uh, Hunter and Thunder just collapse to the ground, and someone off-panel is talking to Damien. And Damien's like looking through the tower, and there's all these little trinkets, and 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 just like there's books, and the the goddamn Eclipso jewel is sitting here, the gem, and and Eclipso is just begging to to, to be let out. Um, and there's just little things here and there that you just know that Wade loves to remind you that you know what what, what a big fanboy he is. Um, and Zatanna makes an appearance. She's definitely not looking too good. The entire Justice League dark. You've got Constantine. Um, he's uh, he's entwined with um, 
with some and he's entwined in, in some symbiosis with with swamp things so the two of them are are um have been taken out etrigan and and jason blood are like in this um mid transformation they're like each one is is like kind of torn between one or the other it's 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 a crazy looking image um and uh and and zatanna's got her own own things going on but the there, there, there's a reveal at the end on, on on the last page that um like i said that ties into the uh other two of the the event and the other series but this was this is i mean Mockman looks absolutely amazing on this issue but it it was it was it was fun and it, well, it was fun seeing of course batman in action trying to take care of the situation but i like seeing alfred back however long it'll be and if it actually is him and who's pulling whose strings as to what brought him back um and you know damien is just ruthless and and he kind of just the character that i've he's been in my mind and and obviously he's a little it's a little bit more of an edge to him here because whatever's going on uh and him trying to take out his father but i thought um I thought it was a really, really good first issue, and and I'm looking forward to uh, to where we're going from here. Because like I said, it it looks absolutely amazing, but I have no idea what the hell Wade has up his sleeve, and and now it's just like a a mystery that I I have to see how it plays out. But yeah, I thought the first issue was really good. Mahmoud drawing the bat equals Dude. David Happy Place. Uh, oh my god, it, it was great. Getting paid to son, so let's save I, I know, I know. Let's see, Keaton's comic art. Oh, Shout my out! God. I don't think he's going to be in New York, though. He will be. Yes, he will. He will be. Oh, Absolutely. nice. Okay, great. I already great. talked to him. Yeah. Nice. Told him we're looking forward to seeing him. Absolutely. Dude, the New York. I mean, uh, I don't know if either of you have looked because now you're playing it low key. But the New York Artist Alley is incredible. Like oh, it may be the best Artist Alley ever. Oh no! Oh god! Wow! <laughs> oh no! <laughs> Better buy a new pair of Converse. Well, I've been a good boy. I mean, I have some pieces, but nothing, nothing crazy. <laughs> you know, you saying I've been a good boy is yeah. only a prelude to the whole thing blowing wide open. Yep. You you know that, right? <laughs> but, um, but there is no excuse for us not to have uh, full days of chatting with people and catching up with them and. I'm getting down. bumpers and saying hello because yeah. they're. I mean, they're. I mean, when I say it's a great art style, I, I don't just mean in terms of the quality of the artists that are going to be uh, peddling their wares. I mean, it's an incredible list of creators, many of whom we're friendly with or friends with. So it's going to be fun. And soon, yes, yeah, just three uh, three weeks, <laughs> three and a half weeks. Yeah. No, three weeks. Cannot wait. Yeah, it's going to be fun. Shit, three weeks from now, three weeks from today. Yeah. Wow, we got a we got a packed few weeks. We do, Dad. You and me, we yeah. Bob, Vince, will you have to let us know if you want to record Tuesday or Thursday next week? We'll see. We'll talk about it later. Yeah, it's odd, but not really that you should bring up autobiographical comics because the uh, the artist responsible for the book I'm going to talk about right now. Um, that's at least semi. That's pretty much their stock in trade. And I was uh, recently watching an interview where uh, this person, artist, writer, teacher, 
said, you know, comics are great because anybody can do them, right? Everybody has a story to tell, and the the medium is such that anybody can pick up a pencil and just draw. And I was thinking that is a wonderful approach. Um, if your goal is quality, though, <laughs> it's... It's. I mean, everybody has a voice, and everybody is capable of uh, of, of uh, making that voice known. But uh, I, there is uh, very, very few, or there are very few, artists of this woman's caliber. And I've I've talked about her before, and I consider her an absolute treasure. There, she makes me. Uh, completely comfortable on the one hand and terribly anxiety ridden on the other. She's very rare in that she could, she does it every time. And there's a, a strip on the back of this book, a fourth wall breaking strip where the, the two uh, main characters, at least of this volume talk right to the reader. And, and uh, one of them says, you know, this book is mainly about how life can magically turn cruddy and then turn beautiful. And that's exactly her stock and trade. And I am, of course, if you don't already know, I'm talking about Linda Berry. I, I love Linda Berry. And I'm not just saying it like, yeah, I love pizza, you know, or, or I love uh, to sleep. I love Linda Berry. Like, I don't know any other word that can encapsulate how I feel when I'm experiencing her, her work. It's complete love on every level. I love the visual aesthetic. I love the 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 narrative, the things that she makes seemingly innocuous things seem she makes them sparkle, right? And and it's uh, it's called Come Over, Come Over, and it's published by Drawn and Quarterly. And again, it is um, it Marley's is in this, but Marley's takes a bit of a back seat to her older sister, Maybone. And um, what is it about? Well, it's about the life and times of a 14-year-old. And you may think, well, that it doesn't sound too inter interesting. In Linda Berry's hand, everything is interesting, right? Um, these strips originally appeared in uh, the, I believe, the late 80s. Yeah, 88 uh to I believe ninety, yes, eighty-eight to ninety, and and they were in Ernie Pook's comic, which was uh, syndicated in a lot of papers. And I remember back in the day, just making special trips to New York City to get my hands on the Village Voice because Linda Berry was in it. I had no other agenda to go to the city other than to find a copy of the Village Voice because Linda Berry was in it. That's how much I love her. I always have. I always will. Um, but this this book is just it's it's littered with the insecurities and anxieties of childhood, right? And it's universal. We've all experienced this shit. Um, experimenting with with uh, things out of your age bracket, like like uh, alcohol and uh sex right um the the uh the things that seem 
massively important to a 14-year-old. Uh, adults would look back and say, what, what's the big deal, right? But in that time and in that place, they're everything, right? And, and Maybon, she's got it a little – I think she's got it bad because um, mom and dad have divorced. And in this time, divorce – I mean, it was – obviously it existed, but it wasn't as prevalent as it is today, right? Divorce was like the scarlet letter in a lot of instances, depending on where you lived. Um, and so mom and dad have, have, have divorced and dad had uh, a, a drinking problem. He was an alcoholic. And so, which probably led to the divorce, right? And it, when this book opens, uh, Marley's and uh, Maybon are going to grandma's house for the summer. Uh, their mother uh, likes to impart the problems of her life uh, likes to find uh, the reason in in her children like her her physical form like yeah the way, the reason why I'm all you know I look the way I do is cuz I gave birth to you and you're 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 a chubby kid you know what I mean like mom is not uh, extremely kind she's abrasive to her kids so uh, it's a good thing that they're going away for the summer but um, there's one section that's just like heartbreaking where Maybon has a friend and her dad is really weird around her friend. Like, you know, makes her sit real close to him and, and you know, puts, puts her hand on his leg and Maybon feels some kind of way, you know? Like, and then she thinks or she swears that she saw the father, you know, touch the, the girl in a way that made her feel odd strange you know and uh, there was one instance where the girl pleads with Maybon with her eyes to like not leave them alone and Maybon just feels I mean it's uncomfortable it's strange what is a 14 year old supposed to feel in an instance like this and she's wondering do I say something and am, am I imagining this like who do I tell will they even believe me if I tell it at all you know she's got a diary and uh there, you know there's humor in it too Marley's finds um, Maybon's diary and reads about her uh, escapades with boys and stuff, and she definitely uses it to her advantage. <laughs> but um, it's we've all experienced things like this, uh, like the events in this book, and it's um, Linda's just amazing. Or, or she how she can create these vivid characters where their their faults and their foibles reveal so much about these these assemblage of lines on paper like she 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 makes a beeline right to my heart with this stuff she makes me laugh she makes me uh she makes me sad she just she she ekes out emotion in everything that she does and i just love her work so much there's a a, a, a strip where just to part ways with some of the seriousness of of Maybone's uh, journey. Marley's comes on and she has an auto bingo game. She invents a game and it's it's a perfect game. <laughs> From the world of Marley's, it's a perfect game where you, if you're going on a, on a long tr car trip, here's the number one perfect game to take with. Just cross off the ones you see. And it's like a motel sign with a sleepwalking bear, a restaurant in the shape of a hot dog, 
Scary rest stop bathrooms with no doors on the stalls. Uh-oh. Uh, a man peeing on the side of the road. You wake up with your with a pattern of car seat on your face. Like goofy shit that we've all experienced. But Mar- the, the funny thing about it is Marley thinks it is like the most amazing things ever. That she's made this list and she is she's gifting it to you and making your life better by doing this. It's just amazing stuff. Like... Uh, you, uh, I you guys like Linda Berry at all? You've, yeah. I, yeah, I mean, we've talked a bit about it. I mean, I, I've not read the entirety of her catalog, but I've read a couple of her more important works and think she's great. Yeah. It, but there's a lot of sadness to it, too. Um, well, I don't... These are old strips. Uh, this is a... This hardcover is a reprint of a, an older collection. And um, Marley's dad, or uh, yes, Marley's dad, Mabon's dad, has um, a relapse as as the book is going on, and um, it, it it's just like the the admittance that you know uh, they they were trying very hard and then they slipped, and Mabon has a similar um, setback during it you know with boys and and alcohol and stuff and she feels like she's being used because the boy she she made out with now won't give her the time of day and he's moved on to someone else and and she feels insignificant and used and discarded and stuff you know like again it's it's stuff that we've all all felt at one time in our lives uh but it's just amazing amazing stuff and she does it with such grace and such such there's a lot of truth to barry's line and I, I, I just thank whatever it is that controls this whole mess in which we've been thrust that that she had been born and still continues to live because I just adore Linda Berry. And uh, keep on keeping on, Linda, because this is the stuff for me that that makes, like I said, it, it puts gas in the tank. It makes life worth living. So. 19 no it's 21.95 for a hardcover landscape format real neat. Oh, i love it yeah. yeah yeah real neat it's not a thick book it's 128 pages which is a nice bite size uh sampling of of barry it, there's a lot of reading i mean you you guys have seen it there her uh her narration can get really chunky which is great i love it but uh, that's value added to me because it's all character bits. Like it's all, it all factors into the, mm-hmm. these, these constructs that, that we love. And I, it's just, it's just wonderful. So if you haven't read it, get out there and buy some Linda Berry. Cause she is, uh, she's the grand dame of comics in my opinion. Yep. Filling up that gas tank. Forever. She always has, right? Mm-hmm. I just I can zone out on YouTube watching her stuff like there's interviews and she'll draw and some of them she doesn't even say anything she just draws and there's like a radio or a television playing in the background she doesn't care you know she's Linda that she's fearless she's fearless and um, her how-to books are just phenomenal I talked about them before but the the ones on comics and drawing they're just amazing things and they're they're invaluable you should get them if you're interested in art and making art or just communicating, you should get them. Yeah. Come over, come over. Linda Berry. Okay. Mm-hmm. Sleepovers. You know the stuff. Sleepovers, going out for ice cream, 
uh, dealing with your alcoholic father, your friends uh-huh. being molested, <laughs> stuff like that. <laughs> all the fun stuff. Yeah, well, that's it. Life is that's alter- real life, though. Yeah. It's alternately terrifying and beautiful. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I mean, exactly. That That is one of the things that is, I mean, I don't care whether you had the, whether you feel like you're the happiest person on the planet and had a great life or you feel like you've had an absolute shite life. There, In truth, you, there are great moments of joy and sorrow for everybody. It's very right. true. Yep. Just a matter of how you handle them and how often they happen and how you attenuate, attenuate them. But Yeah. It ties into my... Um philosophy of life and we won't have to get into it but the stuff that that is is knocking you down today something else can come up tomorrow and just lift you right up so yeah absolutely cool beans absolutely well what else do we have we gotta have more there's always more yeah i mean um i i really enjoy when it comes time to fill out that monthly order form and figure out what I'm going to buy, taking a, a chance on something. And, um, you know, sometimes when you do it, 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 it's okay. Sometimes when you do it, it's a whiff. And sometimes when you do it, 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 it's in home run. And, and those always feel really special because you're like, God damn, I'm glad I took the leap. Um, and I did that with, uh, a book by dark horse called Kali. Uh, K-A-L-I. And I didn't know any of the creators involved. Um, I essentially bought this because of the preview images in previews and the description and the cover. I thought, well, this looks pretty dope. Um, The cover of the book is drawn uh, and formatted to look like a a movie poster. So the the book is hardcover. It's an off-white um, background hardcover and the majority of the cover is uh, a very fetching badass looking woman um, from the backside so you're looking at her her rump shaker and she's turned kind of looking back at the at you in the audience and uh, she's got this um, leather jacket on with the word Kali on the back and she's got a, a holster and she's got on her left hand a um, handcuff where the one part is handcuffed to her wrist the other part is un- unclasped she's got a pistol in her other hand she's got leather like biker riding chaps on and uh, and then uh, a literal knife sticking in her back and uh, it says Dark Horse Comics presents Kali in, in, in quotes like in, a, you know, in that movie font written by Daniel Friedman illustrated by Robert Samelin um uh, lettering by Michael David Thomas. And then on the back of the book is same image, but the front view. And uh, I just thought that was an, a really cool way to do it. And, and it's all spot for her. Both the front and the back are, are uh, of her personage are spot varnish. So it's just gorgeous. Um, and the book is basically a nonstop action adventure uh, story featuring a absolute kick-ass female lead. Um, Kali is a, uh, she's of Indian descent, not Native American, but but of, from India. Um, 
and this is somewhat of an alternate future. It's not like far flung though. It's not like Mad Max, but it's it's at some point in the near future because the technology and everything's the same. Where uh, the world is now run by uh, an authoritarian group that uh, effectively was voted in, like like because we're all idiots and we, as we're all to do, we get we get we make dumb decisions and then we voted these people into power and then they they took control and never relinquished it. Uh, Kali is the well, I should say she was the leader of a female biker gang uh, who was uh, also fighting uh, for, you know, fighting for a rebellion. Uh, she's part of a, of a rebellion um, made up of, of lots of different disparate groups uh, of, of biker gangs and the like. And uh, as the story begins, she is uh, in captivity and she's been captured by the the military, uh, a military unit of this governing body. And, uh, and, and she's like basically saying, I, I, you know, you guys caught me because I literally was stabbed in the back by my own people. Uh, and as they're interrogating her, she looks out the window of the camp where they brought her to, and she sees uh, two of her biker gang peeps uh, talking to the soldiers. And so she snaps because she's like, fuck this. And uh, she goes into action. She whoops the soldiers' asses, frees herself, goes out and kills the girls. <laughs> Like, like, you know, she's throwing, she's throwing knives at soldiers' foreheads. She's, you know, breaking their, breaking their arms and then grabbing their guns and shooting other soldiers. Like, she's full on John Wick in it, you know. Um, and she basically just goes on a rage killing spree trying to figure out why the hell her girls backstabbed her quite literally and, uh, and why and who, who made them do it. And uh, it's one of those things like it's, it's, it is very analogous to a John Wick or like, uh, a raid movie where it's just once once those first opening scenes lead to her going on the attack and escaping, it's just nonstop her kicking ass from that point uh, straight through the end of the book. The book is oversized, which I love, and and uh, I just we need more of this. Like I feel like lately I've been reading a lot of these oversized uh, hardcovers, and I'm just here for it. So keep doing that, all of you publishers. Um, but uh, there's a there's a there's a you would like this, Vince, because there's like a like a, a 70s exploitative kind of film vibe to this, right? Like it's biker chicks. I mean, it's, it's kick-ass biker chicks and they're all very beautiful and they'll, and you get a flavor for everybody, right? You've got, you've got some, you know, some, some black women, you've got like a, a bald biker chick, you got a blonde, platinum blonde, you got a brunette, you got, you got your Latina, like you've got the whole crew, you know, much like you had in the Sin City pastiche. Um, but they're all kick ass, man. Like they're all like they're not pushovers, not just eye candy. Like they all are badass bitches, and uh, and Kylie's the the most badass of the bunch. Um, and uh, she, what do you, what's going on? You're funny, badass bitches. Oh, um, and this book just came out of nowhere, man. Because I don't like I said, I never heard of these creators. For all I know, it's their first. Well, I found out it's not it's not Summerlin's first comic, but uh, but it's my first experience for both of them. I, and, and the writers knew to me, but it was awesome. I mean, it's it's exactly what on the there's this is not a book where you have to look deep. This is just an incredibly well executed, beautiful looking book that uh, is about a woman who was wronged enacting revenge on the people that wronged her uh, and uh, has a totally satisfying ending, which I won't give away, but uh, just just phenomenal. And and it's a complete story. It's a true graphic novel. You're. You're gonna read it. She's gonna have her. She's gonna have her arc, and then it's over. We're not gonna get more. I don't think so. Uh, total surprise. 
told one of the cases where the solicits sold me on it. So credit to the solicits for those that poo poo solicits. Sometimes they can do their job. And uh, I definitely recommend this, you know, like I just rewatched all the John Wick films with, uh, with my youngest. And I've been in that, that mood of just nonstop action. And this, this, I opened up this book to read this week just at the perfect time. You know, I was just in the mood for that kind of story and it was, it was there for me. So sometimes the key to loving stuff that you consume, right. is just the timing. Uh, exactly. Timing. Yep. And I was, I'm in a mode right now. Where I'm just loving this kind of, it is what it is. It, action adventure stuff. And that's what this was. So, right. See the trailer for Wick four. Yeah. I mean, that's part of the reason we went and watched the first three over again. That one part where he's just banging on the guy's head with the nut, with the chucks like that. <laughs> Holy God, it's brutal. I mean, I know we're all fan, like having just rewatched all three. I mean, I love them all truly, but but the first John Wick is like it's just about the perfect action movie. Yeah, like I, I could watch it. I have watched. I mean, I just watch it any time. Yeah, I think the it would be silly to, I mean, because it's making money. I, it would be silly to end the franchise, but had it not progressed past the first movie, I would have been just fine. Yeah, sure. Yeah. No, I, I agree with you on both counts. I mean, I, I compare that to, like, like the Matrix, right? Matrix, yeah. Matrix 2 and 3 were just, you know, a debacle. Well, Progressively well, worse, yeah. Yeah, uh, whereas I, I don't think, like I said, I just, I don't think with 2 and 3, I... I, I I wouldn't put them above John Wick, the, the OG, but I like them too very much. And yep. I think they, they make sense. They do continue the story. I mean, as much as, I mean, these films are ridiculous. So in as much as they, they need to make sense, but, but, uh, but the first one, man, it's just, <laughs> you just think about that moment when, uh, when, uh, you know, they pick the wrong, <laughs> like the, just the random luck, right. Of, yep. Of fucking picking the wrong guy to <laughs> don't know what someone's going through, man. You don't know. That's so that's 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 uh, that's right there. That's that's textbook definition. So like you don't know, just let shit go, man. You don't know who it is. You're pissing off. And it's you don't just, know. Like rewatching them all together is just the the sense of dread and defeat that all of the the, the mob the, the the crime lords have when they realize it's John Wick that's against them. Like they still try and kill him, they still throw you know tens of millions of dollars at him and bounties, and they still throw all their best people at him. But but there's like a resignation the second they realize that it's him. They're like, ah, oh. shit. <laughs> of all the people you get John Wick pissed off at us. Yeah. All right, good stuff. Hey everybody, thank you for being here with us once again. Come back next week because we'll be doing more of this. Remember. If you want to get a bird's eye view, what this whole Patreon thing is, go to patreon.com forward slash 11 o'clock comics, one, one, no apostrophe. All the stuff is there. Most of it. Audio, video, images, polls, voting, uh, dedicated Slack channel. I told you about it in the beginning. Just check it out. Patreon.com, like 11 o'clock comics. And, and, and get on the site because throw your uh, suggestion on the form for the September book of the month, we will uh, pick a winner this weekend and announce it on the next episode. I'm picking and, a, and the theme episode. Yes. That is the theme episode. Yes. If you're on the Slack, you're aware of the theme episode concept and uh, get involved. Austin in Ellis took the uh, credit to him. He created a Google sheet for the organized chaos and is organizing. Everybody's going to chime in and he is going to act as the uh, head juror and Tell the three of us what we're going to talk about. Fun stuff. In your travels, 
Silver Sprocket is on a stretch. Nice. A really good stretch of uh, independent comics. Uh, this is not the least of them. It's called The Changeling by Tina N. Lugo. What's it about? Well, it's about a 68, 64-page um, semi-diminutive. It's about the size of manga, but it's wider than most manga volumes. Uh, in this fantasy world, there are uh, lichens. They are changelings, right? They also have broken up into clans. There are four clans of lichens, each with their own belief systems. Um, it's a lot like, uh, for those who have ever played a White Wolf role-playing game from Werewolf the Apocalypse, there's lots of clans in Werewolf the Apocalypse, and they all have their signature um, things that make them tick, right? Well, this is like that. But uh, by way of Miyazaki, I would say, right? You have this young uh, lichen named Luth, lady, you know. And there is, uh, because you have different mindsets uh, among the clans, there needs to be peacekeepers that uh, oversee the stuff that that's going on. And she is taking the test to become the honored uh, rank of peacekeeper and Tess is not easy uh, she's attacked by a giant crocodile type beast that speaks and she defends herself and plunges two arrows in the eye sockets of this uh, creature so the creature um, retreats but uh, professes that he will or it will um, have the last word and it does it attacks her again but uh, she's in a position where she's bound she can't move I'm not going to be too specific so I think you should read this but um, the uh, Luth she at one point in the story she saves a will-o'-wisp this this little bugaloos type fairy creature she saves it and in doing so the creature is bound to her now um, and the, the story progresses from there. I don't. It, it's a lot of fun. Uh, if you like fantasy, uh, you know your fantasy tropes. It, it, it's in here, but it also has that very very strong um, white wolf vibe. That's what I got out of it. Because I mean, I have a lot of I have experience with those games, and you can't say werewolf without me thinking white wolf, right? Especially if if you're you're there are groups of of werewolves, right? It's just fun, and it's 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 manga esque. the The visuals are um, it's black and white. Uh, it's, it's very much in that Miyazaki uh, realm. It's wonderful, and it ain't expensive. It's thirteen ninety nine for this little uh, spot varnished uh, first chapter. Because um, there'll be more, so get it while you can. Silver Sprocket, The Changeling, by Tina N. Lugo. Drawing's great. It's the start of something. Love it. Tell me something good. Oh, and uh, when it arrived, Silver Sprocket, they don't scrimp. 
you get stickers and a bookmark and all this other stuff in the package but they have a catalog this catalog's great like everybody should do it like this it it, it's it features the stuff that's coming up new releases and in in the back you get you know a little goat character that is their signature thing but there's there's little cartoon portraits of all of the uh the uh not all of them but i'm guessing a lot of the staff of silver sprocket you get you know the publisher and the general manager you have a a shop cryptid and a shop cat but they're people and they're really wonderfully uh cartooned on the back cover so like stan um established this is like they're 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 trying to foster some kind of you know community with their catalogs and that's great you know recognition uh you know familiarity with this stuff so go buy some stuff from Silver Sprocket. It's really good. Couldn't agree more. Right? You like the catalog? Love it, dude. I I uh I always think like Silver Sprocket, I always order from them once or twice a year. And then uh and then for those that are in the same vibe, I always think of Birdcage Bottom, which for at least four or five years now has done a cool thing where they do the Kickstarter, you know, for their entire you can kickstart and get and guarantee their entire annual catalog of product that they send you. So they're my they're they're the I think the two best indie comics publishers yeah, out there. I wish I mean my wallet doesn't wish, but I wish Fanagraphics had a subscription. You, yeah, like it you know maybe eight hundred bucks a year you get everything we publish. Mm-hmm. Not yeah. the, not the archival stuff like the duck books and the peanuts and all right, that stuff. Right, but yeah. every original graphic novel we publish you get it. I would be so down for that. Me too. That's true. I think I buy them all anyway. So. <laughs> True, but still, it would be not, maybe if you got like maybe it because they always float coupons and they're usually 20 25%. Like, if you got 25% off cover, it beats going to Amazon. You're oh, not yeah. going to get that discount for, from Amazon on a Fanographics book. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Hey, Gary, do it. Do it. Ah, uh, in your travels, um, there were there were two, um, New first issues from from Image. One one came out a few weeks ago. Um, one came out more recently. The second one is called "The Least We Can Do." And after um, after that really enjoyable miniseries, um, a thing called Truth. Creators Yolanda uh, Zenferdino and Elisa Romboli, anything they're going to do, I'm going to check out. So uh, this is quite different than their first um, get-together. It's it's set in the future after a a great war um, known as the creation, and and the world basically had to rebuild itself. Um, And in the rubble, as time went on... um, the medium is is what they're is what they referred to is how they referred to but but they're they're small parts of of some materials found in nature um and they have mysterious powers that kind of look like you know almost like they're, they're kind of like stones different colored gems and um and the story goes that uh, humanity doesn't know what happened but they could put them to such good use. But unfortunately, um, uh, the Eden army took power, imposed a military dictatorship 
in the UK and forbade common folk from using medium um, out of fear of revolts and things like that. There's a there's a resistance. There's 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 the army all dressed up in their shiny armor, uh, and there's a resistance. And the resistance has they they put out the call to recruits. And there's one recruit that we meet in this first issue. So I I, I like this because we're kind of seeing things through through her eyes. We're going to get caught up uh, as she goes through it all. But but this recruit, her name is uh, Uriel, and uh, her pronouns are she and her. And because she's new, a lot of the people in the resistance. Uh, and she she seems young and a bit smaller than some of the other um, members of the resistance, and they uh, they're not quite sure what to make of her yet. But Seth, the guy in charge, he's he loves her story, and 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 you know he knows what she can do, the good for the group, um, and it it really is just it's it's a setup issue. Um, we don't know a whole lot yet. Um, we're, we're, we're learning as we go. Um, but for me, um, Elise's art is, is what I, I, I really, really enjoy. There's, there's, there's a bit of a Joel Jones vibe to it. Um, there's a, uh, it, it's just, I, I like the style and the story is just, it's, it's a little weird. It's a little different than, uh, I mean, the, the germ of it isn't necessarily all that original, but how it's presented, I, I, I think I'm going to enjoy, uh, where this is going, but, but the art is, um, the art's great as far as I'm concerned, but we're good. We're learning a little bit more about Uriel as, 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 as this first issue continues and why she wants to join up, um, with, the uh, with who she ends up with. And, and she just, she knows that, you know, if, if everybody basically gets the medium, if, if everybody, you can use the medium for good and, and it can, you know, it'll help humanity and, and, and just, you know, bring things back to, well, this is the normal they know, but just it, things would be much better given poverty and war. And it's just, and, and, but you have people who of course are power hungry and want to keep things for themselves and want to make sure other people are kept down. So, um, there's a little bit of, uh, terrible or just uh, kind of mirroring real life to some degree, but this is, I, I, I thought it was a solid first issue. Um, the other first issue is also, um, female forward it's called uh the deadliest bouquet and that's um that's written by eric schultz and uh art by carola borelli and it's about uh three daughters um violet poppy and rose and uh their mom owned a uh mom's a florist they own a flower shop and um Mom is the 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 issue starts where where mom is dead and it looks like she was murdered, and um, the the sisters are um, one of them is kind of you know the badass the rebel the one that uh, probably gave their parents a headache and uh, one of them is a 
married woman with 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 uh with a whole family and and then there's the other one that's uh you know just kind of thinking about the career and things like that so so they're all extremely different women uh but we're going to uh, there's a mystery as far as um why is mom dead who killed mom and we find out that uh at the old house um some shit happened where it looks like the dad or mom's mom's husband the girl's dad um there's there's a neat panel where he is down at the bottom of the stairs um neck broken blood all over and 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 the mom's at the top of the stairs screaming never again and um and and all mom says to the girls is is get the tarp and and you know it so there's some shit going on with this family and and i i'm i'm interested to see where where it's going the art here again is uh it's pretty solid and and the women are attractive and uh eric has written some some interesting things in the past so i i've got faith but uh but yeah i i thought that they uh they were they were uh Two for two with the with the first issues that I read. I, I, I dug them a lot. So yeah, the least we can do, definitely check it out, especially if you've read uh, A Thing Called Truth. And A Deadly Spoke just um, is one of those things that it's, it's I don't want to call it a palate cleanser, but yeah, it, it's it's just something different than everything else I was reading. I kind of dug it. It just, it, it, it struck a nerve, it, or it struck a chord. So there you go. Excellent. My uh, laptop fan is going nuts right now. Too. That's what I thought it was. Yeah, I thought Tony stopped by. Yeah, dude. I, I, like It never does this, so I don't know what the hell's going on. I hope it's not a problem because it's going to piss me off. But anyway. Um, That's what happens when you download the porn simultaneously. I'm not. That's the thing. <laughs> how many How many Chrome tabs you got open? Uh, just three. <laughs> I could do it. I mean, no lie. No. I mean, because I, I, mean, I always have our Slack open. I have... Um, and I have two pages just just from the stuff I talked about today. But anyway, um, in your travels, two things. First, before I talk about book to read, um, we mentioned this last week as well, but I want to mention it again because we're not quite over the finish line, and I really, really want us to get over the finish line. And that is uh, to remind you all, if you haven't done so already, that Tales to Enlighten, Volume 2, The New Testament, uh, is uh, is being kickstarted right now. Uh, off to a good start. As we are recording tonight, it is uh, at $16,925 of a $20,000 goal. So uh, we're looking good. There's 18 days to go, so it looks like we're good here as long as people continue to uh, pop in and get and get their pledge on. But, uh, but uh, you know, I know sometimes people are like, oh, yeah, and then they forget. They get busy. So just a gentle reminder, if you want, if you want this goodness, and it's 550 more pages of this goodness, and you know how much we love the first volume, uh, by all means, jump on it. Uh, and then, in terms of book, uh, I gotta say, um, you know, Vince is a very big fan of the uh, of the of the continuity uh, moments, and we are uh, we're gonna have another Orama here because Dap gave you Batman versus Robin, so I'm gonna in your travels give you Robin and Batman. Oh yeah, Dap's giving you the, the the hate the hate side of the relationship. I'm going to give you the love side of the relationship. Mm-hmm. Uh, now we've talked about this book before. We talked about the first issue when it came out, um, and in fact, we had Jeff. Uh, the, the, for the, to be clear, this book is written by Jeff Lemire, 
and uh, art by his uh, very frequent and ongoing uh, artistic collaborator, Dustin Nguyen. Um, some of you may remember we had when we had Jeff on the show last time, um, he, he told us about this book. This was going to be the last DC thing he was working on before his image exclusive started. He had gotten a carve out to do it. It was just a... Uh, he and Dustin had just finished Ascender and Descender and then Ascender. And uh, this just they just wanted to scratch this itch to tell the story. So it was a three-issue um, a three-issue miniseries that uh, I, I waited for the hardcover. I read the hardcover. But uh, it's it's a story of, uh, of, of the earliest days of, of Dick Grayson as he's becoming Robin. And uh, they don't break new ground. I mean, with a lot of... of Batman stuff, right? You, it's, a lot of the stuff is retelling or, or, a, or a, a slightly different take on something we're already familiar with. I'm sure most of us are familiar with <clears throat> or have read some version of Dick Grayson's early days as, uh, as Batman's ward and, and becoming a hero. But uh, but they do a really nice job with it, and I think it really lends itself well to Dustin's art style. Um, uh, it's no coincidence, I'm sure, that... that, uh, that young Dick Grayson doesn't look very different than one of the main protagonists from Ascender Descender. So uh, it's certainly visually the same language and it fits well. Um, but uh, thought it was great. You know, um, Killer Croc is the, the big bad in the book. And uh, uh, Jeff does a nice thing where he uh, tells the story essentially from like as though uh, it's we're, we're getting glimpses into Dick Grayson's diary, um, and uh, like I said, not didn't break new ground, um, but I thought a very faithful uh, story that 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 I thought did a nice job of illustrating what makes Dick Grayson different from Bruce Wayne, which is ultimately that he's optimistic about life. You know, he's 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 in the light, Batman's in the dark, and um, but they still are both highly committed to fighting to save the world and. Uh, just a really, really nice job, and um, you know I'm a mark for anything Lemire, but but I think Lemire and, and the win as 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 creative partners just just are incredible, and uh, definitely worth your time in the in the sea of, of bad books that are out there. If, if this one has escaped your attention as it's coming out, then you might want to round back and and grab this hardcover or uh, or at least put it on your list for the next time you're at a con looking for those cheap books on sale. Uh, if this one's there, go ahead and grab it. There you go. All right, everybody. Uh, thank you once again for doing this, being here with us. Um, go buy some comics. Hug your loved ones. Be nice to people and say goodnight. It honestly sounds like there is either a torrential downpour outside your window or a friggin' fate train. I have no idea. David. Goodnight. And it's gone. <laughs> he must have. There it is. That was me because I muted David. So it's cr- it's crazy. It makes no sense. Yeah. What well, sounds like an outside sound? It definitely it does. Yeah. No, I got nothing. <laughs> no, it wasn't me. <laughs> it was you, because I was on mute as he was saying that. I mean, it was a test. No, well, it was, I, it's a weird I, sound. It's very I strange. Heard, I heard everything that, I mean, it, it was, something was going crazy. I, I heard it. And, I mean, I, I said that a while ago in case you didn't hear it. I know it, you did. I know. Okay. But it was, it, I, the fan was loud. And then before Jason could stop talking, 
it was done. It it, it ended. It it stopped. And then, so I don't know if it was a delay or something, but there wasn't anything on playing. It's scary. That's weird. Yeah, my laptop isn't doing the thing anymore either. That's it for that one.